This episode of the Productivityist Podcast is brought to you by MetPro, a world-renowned concierge nutrition, fitness, and lifestyle coaching company. Using metabolic profiling, MetPro's team of experts analyze your metabolism and provides an individualized approach to obtaining your goals. Now, the Productivityist Podcast listeners that want to take advantage of this offer, and they should, will receive a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert. I'll share more details about this during this episode of the podcast. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Productivity is Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Barty, and with me on the show today is Rich Carlgaard. He is the publisher of Forbes Magazine and is based in Silicon Valley. He's also the author of the latest book of his called Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. Now, why did I choose to publish this episode on this date? Well, today, as this episode goes live, it's my birthday. I am 45 as of the date that this podcast goes live. I consider myself to be a bit of a late bloomer, considering that I've really only been in this game for about 10 years and didn't start in my you know 20s as a lot of other people did. We talk about the idea of, of why late bloomers are so important and why we shouldn't be so focused on maybe blooming too early. Uh, there's lots of goodies in this episode. I really enjoyed my conversation with Rich. I know you will as well. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Rich Carlgaard here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Rich Carlgaard to the Productivityist Podcast. Rich, thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. So I would consider myself to be a bit of a late bloomer, and you've got your book out, you know, Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. And, you know, as somebody who is, I'd say fairly, I mean, I've been in the entrepreneurial game for a, about about a decade now, you know, full-time for about the last seven years, but you know, whenever I'm I'm traveling and going to conferences and such, I tend to be one of the older people there, even though I don't necessarily feel like one of the older people there. I certainly am when compared to some of the people that are doing this, you know, kind of, uh, you know, working for themselves and, and, you know, that kind of thing. Why, why is this book for me? I, you know, I mean, I've, I've gone through bits and pieces of it, but why, why was this book so important for you to write? Two reasons, really. I consider myself a late bloomer at age 25, despite having graduated from a, a good college, but I had no particular direction and I barely got through. Uh, I was watching my roommates go off and, and one was finishing law school. He'd go on to have a spectacular legal career in Silicon Valley. Another one was working for a secret project at Lockheed that we later knew to be the space shuttle program. And then another one was getting his doctorate in divinity. And I was capable of holding a job no greater than dishwasher, temp typist, and security guard. And one night when I was a security guard doing the graveyard shift at a trucking yard in San Jose, I heard a dog barking. So I wondered what the commotion was. And I swung my flashlight around. There staring at me through the fence was a very angry looking Rottweiler. And it occurred to me that that was my professional colleague. At age 25, my professional peer was a dog. And a couple months after that, Steve Jobs would take Apple public. Also, he was 25. So I always thought that it was a story that might have some usefulness for people who feel that they didn't come charging out of the gates, either out of high school or college, or they're worried about their children. But more recently, when I look at how in 
particularly these supercharged cities like the San Francisco Bay Area or Vancouver or Seattle or New York, the pressure that we're putting on kids to achieve spectacularly and early so that they can get into elite colleges, so that they can get first jobs at Google or Goldman Sachs is uh, unwarranted because it rewards kids who are really good at taking tests. It rewards those who have determined focus. And not all kids are built like that. And there, you see rising rates of anxiety, depression. We even had an epidemic of suicide here in Palo Alto, uh, high school suicides and hospitalizations for suicidal thoughts in the year 2014 and 2015. And uh, a writer from Atlantic Monthly examined the situation. She discovered that a lot of those kids that were killing themselves or, were, or had to be hospitalized were the B-plus students that thought they were failures. So that really tipped me into deciding that I had to write this book now. And I spent four years researching it. And the, the result uh, that I found from science, both neuroscience and psychology, is that over the course of our lives, we have these amazing gifts. We lose, you know, just tiny little bits of our rapid synaptic processing speed, and we gain much more deeper pattern recognition, wisdom, communication skills, executive skills, all of those things throughout the many decades of our, of our uh, lifetimes. And so you would think, you know, if you just look at Silicon Valley, you see examples of Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook or Sergey Brin and Larry Page at Google. You'd think that entrepreneurship is solely a young person's game, but the average age of starting a business in the United States is 47. So it, it, it ain't the truth that only young people can be entrepreneurs. What role do you think the media has in this? Because, I mean, as, as we're, you know, as you're talking about, especially the last little bit, you know, the 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 thought process or the the preconceived notion that people who are, you know, startup founders and running major companies are actually older than most people would think. Yet, you know, especially, and we'll talk about social media in a little bit, but you see a lot of like this, you know, top 30 under 30 and things like that that come up. Um, how how can someone who is um, maybe feeling that pressure of, you know what, I'm not achieving the level, like, is, is are those kind of articles in the media kind of you know, perpetuating that, not myth, but all, well, it is a myth, I guess, but also the, the, um, you know, the, the, the idea that you must succeed now, because if you don't succeed now, then it's going to be too late. Yeah. I think the media misses, misses a lot, even here in Silicon Valley, even in technology, you see many successful older entrepreneurs. Diane Green was 43 when she started VMware along with her husband and and but she was the driver of it, and she was the CEO of the company for its first ten years. VMware today has a market value of about sixty billion dollars. And until January this year, at age sixty-four, Diane was the CEO of Google Cloud. You see, Tom Siebel started Siebel Systems in the nineties when he was forty-one. His new AI company at fifty-seven today. Tom is sixty-six and leading this really enormously young, impactful company in the field of AI and industrial IoT. Or how about David Duffield, who started PeopleSoft when he was 46 and Workday at 64, and now is in his late 70s and still very active on boards and starting companies. And so particularly, I, I well, let me stop there. I do think that young people and why the media likes them 
is they, uh, I think that's always maybe been the case, particularly in the United States. We, we fall in love with youthful prodigies. But more recently, they, they, they seem to get into dramatic trouble mm. uh, for all their giftedness. Many of them lack the kind of executive facilities and wisdom and judgment you acquire as you're older. So you see Travis Kalanick creating Uber but then making some mistakes that I'm sure he wouldn't make when he was an older man, but he did. And, and then he had to be out. He had to suffer the indignity of, of watching somebody else ring the bell on the New York Stock Exchange when Uber went public a few weeks ago. Or how about Elizabeth Holmes? Elizabeth Holmes, the young prodigy, she knew at eight she wanted to change the world and started Theranos and, and got, to my eye, got trapped by her own her own myth of, of youthful achievement. And Rather than get the technology right, she doubled down on the fable. So those sort of people get celebrated. They also run into problems. Even Mark Zuckerberg doesn't strike you as a fully developed executive functioning human being yet. He's He reminds me, and he's 32. And uh, time, time is kind of running out on him to really gravitate to the next level. Or, uh, you know, the, the government's going to break up Facebook or, or something is going to going to happen to him that he that he and you know when he's an older man he'll be able to see why it happened we hear a lot about the idea of hustle and go and especially in the world of productivity it's a, you know achievement you talked about that getting as much done as possible as quickly as possible efficiency all these things but i've been focusing a lot more uh, especially in my field. And I'm seeing a little bit more of this, especially from people like, say, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's talked about hustle, but now he's preaching, you know, the idea of patience a bit. Like, you should be paid. Like, what, how important is it for young people and even, and late bloomers too, to, to understand that, that, you know, one of them, or is it one of the most undervalued or un- mis, you know, misused uh, traits that we have is the idea to be patient rather than just try to go, go, go fast, 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 now, now, now. Well, Warren Buffett likes to say if he makes two good decisions a year, he's had a really good year. And if you look at his career, he patiently built Berkshire Hathaway starting out of the bedroom in his home in, in, in Omaha, Nebraska. The military special forces who find themselves in life and death situations all over the world have the saying that slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And the problem with... Uh, Hustle is a great idea. Never quitting is a great idea. But they can be taken to an extreme and suddenly hustle becomes panic. And you start making compromises in your decision that perhaps you don't even know you should make. You get you get in a state of um, hot bother because you look at a list of, of unicorns and the media, uh, the business media, the technology media will assign values to these unicorns. This one just raised money and is worth 5.3 billion. This one raised money and is worth 2.8 billion. And then you look at your own company, maybe raising money right now isn't what you need to do because it'll be very dilutive if you do it in your current state and and you have enough uh, to get by for another two years. So let's think about going out uh, maybe six months from now or a year from now. I suppose when you get down to the last 12 months, uh, it's probably a bad idea, but have some patience because you might be able to go out in six months. You might be able to make progress in six months that is going to drive up the valuation of your company. And so when you go out and raise money, it won't be as dilutive as it is now. It's it's hard when you look around and you see all of these extreme early successes to take a little more 
patient path. Um, I think particularly in the technology sector, if you're in B2B, you can afford to be more patient because if you're selling product or service to business, it better darn well work. I mean, you might be able to do some skunk works projects with a business that knows and likes you and, and understands that it's working with you on a skunk works basis and you're going to work through some, some problems and they're happy to do that because it's part of their portfolio to work with startup companies so they don't get blindsided. But, but B2B is pretty critical and demanding. It isn't about what's fashionable or hot. It's about what works and getting stuff to work in a technology, you know, complex society like ours requires a kind of patience. So I always tell late bloomers, even in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, that may, maybe in your 20s, you ought to have started or worked for a young, aggressive business to consumer kinds of technology company. But now as you get into your 30s, 40s and 50s, think about starting a company or, or working with a startup that is B2B because they're going to reward your uh, your maturity skills in a way that a B2C hot fashionable company won't. One of the things you mentioned was maturity. And I think ego plays a role in 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 this as well, right? The idea of of, you know, ego getting in the way or um again being influenced by, you know, things like social media and and just what what's going on around uh, you know, both young people and late bloomers. Um how do you feel people can kind of, especially maybe late bloomers can even help younger people with this idea of, you know, not, not putting maturity in, in, in a bad light and saying, you know, you're, you know, cause it's, no one likes to hear that they're being immature, right? No one wants to hear, Hey, you know, you need to mature more because, um, it, it, it almost feels like it's a, a put down, but I mean, maturity is not something that you can necessarily rush, right? So how do you, how do you navigate that? I think age diversity is one of the most powerful forms of diversity. And, and as I look at companies, I see very few exploiting that very powerful form of diversity. Because here you have millennials and Gen Zs who uh, know how to hustle. Uh, the bad economy of 2008 and 2009 forced a lot of them to learn how to hustle. They, are, they understand technology. They understand social media. They understand how all that is folding in a way that one doesn't understand as they get older. I remember when I was in my 20s and, uh, you know, the Macintosh was just being released. And, and I knew everything about the Macintosh and desktop publishing and, and all of that. And I had a real vision for where it was going. I could see from day one that the Macintosh was going to be a publishing platform, even though it didn't have at its time of release in 1984 you didn't have laser printers. You didn't have sophisticated programs like PageMaker or Quark Express to do page layout. Uh, you didn't have any of that, but you could tell that this was something new. Well, those kind of insights about where technology is going, particularly consumer technology, are the gifts of, of younger people who are avid fans of those technologies. And, and you lose that sort of perception into the future, at least when it comes to consumer products, as you get older, you can see B2B, um, the B2B landscape unfolding a little better. Well, anyway, so you take all the brilliance and hustle of a Gen Z and a, and a millennial, but they're going to walk into predictable traps. 
simply because it, they have not been in that rodeo before. And to have to have a mentor who's done it, therefore has a sort of respect around the person. They're not just teaching, they're, they're teaching because they've done it. And to be, but but also as a partner, not as a lecturer. As a partner to say, I love this idea. I love your enthusiasm. I th think, you know, I think there's a very good chance this could work. But let's think through the possible traps along the way. Let's run through through some scenarios. If it doesn't work out exactly as you think it could work, either the timeline is stretched out or the uh, beta version takes a little longer to get right, whatever that is. And it's those backup plans, those plan Bs, all those kinds of things that a, that an older person who's done it before and has utmost respect for the young younger person and is relating to them as a partner and not a boss. Yeah, that that just is that's one of the most powerful things that that I've seen working today. You know, here in Silicon Valley, a, a book uh, Eric Schmidt, uh, the uh, former CEO and chairman of Google. Um, along with Jonathan Rosenberg, just wrote a book on on a guy named Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell, maybe not known so well outside of Silicon Valley, but he was called the coach. And he was this guy that, you know, well into his 70s, he was the guy that you could meet in his office or meet in a bar. He liked to hold court in a bar. And entrepreneurs would just gather at the foot of Bill Campbell to learn how it was done. And, and you could make appointments with Bill Campbell um, it, once you got to a certain level. Eric Schmidt, Sergey Brin, Larry Page. I mean, it was Bill Campbell who really figured out in the early days of Google when, when uh, that they needed adult leadership in the form of somebody like uh, uh, Eric Schmidt, who eventually became the CEO, because you, you couldn't have Brin and Page arguing about the business. You could have them arguing about the technology but to have them arguing about the business in front of their own employees, they didn't know how devastating that was because they were used to little technical arguments held in a garage and didn't realize that once you had two or 300 employees, you simply couldn't argue in front of them you know, and expect people to maintain the morale that you wanted. That just is, that's a mistake of youth. So to have a coach um, is, is just hugely valuable. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. So Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. 
Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash ProductiveConvo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there, and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the show right now to talk about the sponsor of this episode, Met. Pro. Now, if you're tired of meal plans and exercise routines that just don't seem to work, uh, you're going to want to give Met Pro a try. I'm a big fan of what Met Pro has been offering me. I've seen the the adjustment in not just my my weight, but my fitness and, and my fitness level and my energy levels. They've been huge. And you know, if you've been listening to my show for a while, how important energy levels are when it comes to personal productivity and time management. Now, MetPro helps you live a healthy lifestyle by optimizing your metabolism so that you can achieve all of your health and nutrition goals. It's a proven platform to help people transform their bodies. And you're a bit of a data nerd, right? Like I know I am. And really, MetPro is backed by data and driven by strategy. I'm a productivity strategist. So when I saw what MetPro was offering in that realm, I had to jump in. MetPro's team of industry-leading experts are challenging generalized health guidance by teaching people how to optimally manage their weight and achieve their associated goals. I do a lot of traveling. I have kids. I have a busy life. MetPro has helped me kind of, you know, main, actually more than maintain, achieve and, and go beyond what I was uh, hoping that I could do in terms of health and fitness and nutrition. Uh, I've been planning meals about three days, three days worth of meals regularly, and it's been great. If you listen to my episode with Angela Poli, you kind of hear what's been going on with my journey with MetPro. And really, it's not, when it when it boils down to to 
nutrition and health and fitness, it's not just about the number of hours in a day. Uh, it, it's it's about productivity, what you do within those hours. And the same goes for health and wellness. I mean, I'm a big proponent of what you do with the time that you have. Health and wellness goes along the same track. It's not fundamentally about what to eat or how to train. Those are important pieces. Keep the, keep that in mind. But what MetPro is focused on is time management. There you go. Working smarter and establishing a game plan specific to your goals and lifestyle needs. And your metabolism is constantly changing. Again, I'm 45 as of, as of this episode. So my metabolism has changed. I used to be able to eat whatever I wanted. Now I'm, I'm, I'm not that person anymore. And, you know, your metabolism also adapts to your environment. Without identifying a starting point, you, you, can, you really can't determine what the right strategy is. So what metabolic profiling does, which is what MetPro uses, it's a process that allows MetPro to get a baseline to see exactly how your body is responding against a very specific set of variables. And their experts, I'm working with Megan right now, uh, are trained to take those results and translate that into simple, actionable steps. What you should eat, how you should train, and what your strategy will be. And there's no judgment either. I mean, I, we just came off of a long weekend. I was talking to Megan. I said, hey, look, this is what's been going on. That's fine. Just, you know, the foundation of the MetPro plan keeps me, you know, easily gets me back to where I need to be in terms of, you know, a baseline and say, okay, look, here's my breakfast, here's my morning snack. And again, it, it's like productivity, very personal. Your plan will be different than mine. So I really want you to check out what MetPro has to offer. And what you can do uh, is you can go to metpro.co slash timecrafting. And when you do that, Productivity's podcast listeners are going to receive a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert. Who knows? You might get Megan. Uh, I highly encourage you to check it out. Thanks so much to MetPro for sponsoring this episode of the Productivity's podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Let's talk about some of the traits that late bloomers have that, you know, younger people don't have. And it's, again, it's, I don't think it's because of, um, they're lacking in them and they'll never have them. It's just the stage or phase that they, that they're in, in their lives. So what are some of the traits that late bloomers, bloomers bring to the table, which will help with things like you talk about age diversity, like what are some of those traits that late bloomers bring to the table that can definitely uh, help those younger people who are really need to have that you know, that power of patience per se. Late bloomers tend to have a higher degree of curiosity. And I'll tell you why, because the early bloomer, at least the early bloomer in the sense of someone who achieved big things in school, that kind of person learned very early that they were on a conveyor belt to success and that they needed to put aside their curiosity and trade it for a determined focus. As one straight A student told a journalist at the Washington Post, I would love to take a you know, a class in subject A, but I don't think I can afford to. Uh, why not, the journalist asked, because I might get a B, and then it would bar my 4.0 record. And so that's what too many kids think that they have to do to be early bloomers in an academic sense. So curiosity is a really good one to have. And in fact, I think it's, I think it's the source of everything. It's the source of entrepreneurial quests, it's the source of product innovation. People get curious about something and then play out the string to see how far that this string can go. In fact, Fortune Magazine did a cover story in 2017 uh, in their annual Best Places to Work issue. And they talked to CEOs, the CEO of Genentech, the CEO of Intuit, companies successful like that. What, what attributes do you most value in your employees? And curiosity tended to be the number one uh, value, which I thought was kind of interesting because their HR people probably screen for 
well, you know, the quality of the school the person went to and then the kind of grades they got, which may demonstrate lack of curiosity and a willingness to submit to rote learning. You have a creative yield. Now, young people have more raw creativity, but there's a, a really interesting process that happens in our brains beginning in our late 20s and early 30s and moves, moves on throughout our lives, that the creative yield you know, one side, one side of the brain, the, the right side of the brain is the intuitive side, the side that can perceive something novel. And then the other side is, is the side of logic, um, chunks of memory, um, all of those things. And so as the networks that connect the two sides of our brains get fully developed, a process that begins in our late 20s and runs through most of our healthy adult lives, we become better at, at when we see something novel or have an idea that is a little outside the box. We're better at stacking it up against our memories because we have more memories and seeing, well, is it really useful? Is it really useful compared to everything else I've seen? And so you tend to get more of a creative yield, not raw creativity, but, but greater yield from those uh, creative perceptions as you get older. Equanimity is another one. That's just a long word for or uh, you're able to stay calm under pressure. You're able to land a plane in the Hudson River when birds disable the engines, as Captain Sullenberger did at age 58, or as Tammy Jo Schultz, the Southwest Airlines pilot who landed a disabled plane after an engine blew up through shrapnel through the window, killing one person, causing bleeding in the cabin. Um, you listen to the air traffic control uh, recordings, with both of those pilots as they were landing in dire emergency and there's calm as a cucumber. That's a good attribute to have, to be able to stay calm under pressure. That gets better as we age. Uh, wisdom is another one that gets better as we age. Wisdom, what's that? The CEO of Ernst & Young told me wisdom is the ability to handle ambiguous information without getting all you know uh, panicked about it. You simply get calmer uh, and you, and you're able to adjudicate ambiguous information better as you get older. So all of those things are, are attributes that we can look forward to. Now, we shouldn't sit and passively wait for them to come, but it's kind of, it, it argues for moving ahead with some degree of patience, knowing that we're going to get better in, in many respects. And it also guides sort of, uh, you know, people your age, uh, people in their in their 40s, maybe they become an entrepreneur because they've always wanted to be one. Maybe they become an entrepreneur because they've been downsized out of a company, or there's been uh, uh, a merger or an acquisition that is that has made their job redundant. And um, you know, knowing knowing that that in your 40s you're still in prime territory. In your 50s you're still prime. In your 60s you're, you're still prime if you otherwise have good health. Now. Somebody in their 40s or 50s probably shouldn't go back and compete with in software programming under a under a brutal time pressure because that's a task that tends to favor young people. But being somebody who sees the big picture, sees the big, big the deeper pattern recognitions, again, I go back to my theme, particularly in B2B businesses, um, you're only coming into your prime in your late 30s, 40s, and 50s. I want to talk about productivity, particularly when it comes to how, you know, young people and late bloomers kind of treat it, what their perception of it is and time as well. Like for ob obvious reasons, late bloomers have lived longer. So they, 
have a, a longer relationship with time. So when it comes to time management and personal productivity, have you noticed um, during your research or even just through observation and, and, and even just anecdotal kind of evidence, how how uh, each of those kind of groups of people perceive or treat uh, time and their their own productivity? It's kind of a conundrum. I mean, this is a great question, and I'm, I'm giving you an answer that my brain is trying to come up with on the fly, and so I won't look stupid. But one of the, you know, this happens with every adult. As you get older, time seems to pass faster. You can't believe how fast a year passes when you're in your 40s and 50s and 60s. And yet when you were a teen or you're in your 20s, a year seems to take forever. When you were in grade school, just one school year seemed to take forever. And yet, even though time seems to be moving faster as we get older, we do have the skill of patience that we didn't have when we were when we were young. But we, what we have is the skill of, of, of focus, creative yield, knowing where to put our efforts. Angela Duckworth, who really popularized the idea of grit and wrote a book about grit, I was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, said grit actually gets better through our 70s. And that has to do, it's sort of like the idea of creative yield. Grit, Our grit gets better because we're better at selecting where we're going to apply our grit. And sometimes when you're wrong and you're impatient, you're prone to a little bit of panic um, uh, that you're over applying your grit. You're applying it everywhere. You think it, it's it, you're not focusing to where it can do the most good. So but it's uh, uh, yeah, I find that the idea that when we get older, time pass time, see, our perceptions of time passes faster. And yet we paradoxically act with more patience. Let's talk about social media. I wanted to get there. So social media, you touched on it earlier, you know, the idea of Facebook and, 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 you know, there is talk of, you know, how do they, how does, how does one navigate the world of Facebook and is Facebook even going to be around in a few years? Like there's a whole bunch of things going on. It's just a very volatile space. And in that volatility, you see a lot of what gets displayed. There's a lot of optics there, right? Like, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I am. There's a lot of that. What role does that play with both early, you know, young people and late bloomers. Cause I don't think, and, and I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I don't think it just affects young people. I think that late bloomers, there can be these things like, I know I've experienced it where it's like, I'm not doing enough because look at what this person is doing. Like almost like some imposter syndrome stuff. I don't think anyone's immune to that. So can you, can you touch on how social media plays a role in all of this? Well, sure. There is a saying in, in, in recovery groups, don't make the mistake of comparing your insides to other people's outsides. And social media is does that times you know a zillion because it's not only people's outsides, it's their curated outsides. Very few people talk about having just a down day. Uh, you know, it's rainy, I'm down, I can't focus. Uh, all the things we normally go through. Uh, it, as we experience both up days and down days and we strive, you know, strive for an even pace, but nobody's really capable of, of that even pace. And so when you're on your down day to see that other people are on, on up days is, uh, can be, uh, can be demoralizing. Now it can give, you know, it can, it can raise, it, it can rile the competitive juices in people too, 
But as a steady diet, you know, I think people really have to learn how to ration their social media um, unless they're in the business that needs social media to promote their business. And then they have to learn to look at it in a different, more rational way. It's a tool, no more. As we get close to wrapping up here, I want to touch, come back to that educational piece, because when you're talking about, you know, uh, how, um, you know, grades and like almost like the data is what kind of drives young people to kind of, um, you know, struggle within the educational system uh, or, or maybe pursue the wrong type of, of achievement, maybe even pursue perfection to a degree. Um, I watched this film called Most Likely which is, uh, you know, kind of uh, exploring different options. I think there's a school, I want to say in San Diego, that Qualcomm started called High Tech High, I think is what it was called. And, you know, it's more uh, almost like a project-based learning as opposed to, uh, in, and uh, uh, sorry, inquiry-based learning. So that kind of thing. Um, what Was that the one produced by Ked Dittersmith? I think so. I'm not entirely sure. I'll link to it in the show notes, though, yeah. so people can take yeah. a look. Um, yeah, great. He, uh, he blurbed my book, Late Bloomers. Uh, so... Uh, what 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 can we do? And first off, what can we do in the educational system to kind of uh, maybe curtail some of what we've seen, you know, what you talked about, what's going on with, you know, youth and, and education and how maybe there's this the, the this false sense of what it can bring, at least in its current form. And then is that something you see happening? Because I think like it's just it's, I mean, it's an institutionalized and 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 making a shift in the way education is framed is, is going to be tricky. So can we touch on that as we as we get close to wrapping up here? Well, sure. My being gripe about school today is that it's so it measures such a narrow band of human potential. It it really measures your rapid algorithmic giftedness. Now rapid algor rapid algorithmic giftedness is great when you're sitting down to take a standardized test. And it's great if you're going to be a software programmer. It's great if you're going to be a high-frequency trader on Wall Street and, and all of those things. But what if you're simply not gifted there? You're a slow thinker or you're immature. I like to think of it this way. Imagine you're, you have the potential to be the, the greatest marathon runner in the world. I mean, you have you have the oxygen uptake, you have the lung capacity, you have the right build, you um, all of that. And along comes a test. And this test is going to this test is going to tell you how worthy you are as a human being and what, what and, and imply what your prospects are in life. And the test is how far do you throw the shot put? Now, do you think that's you think somebody who is born to be a marathon runner, you know, who's going to grow up and is an adult and be five foot nine and 125 pounds if they're a male or, you know, five foot six and 100 pounds if they're a, a female. I'm talking about world class marathon runners. You, do you think that, that person is being tested fairly for their how well they're going to do in life? And so that's what that's what my basic beef about the school system is there. People have so many different kinds of gifts. Think about the kid who has spatial gifts, who loves doing things with his or her hands, um, who would make, you know, do really well in the skilled trades or do really well as a sculptor or or anything like that. And now they're being uh, tested on how well they perform on word logic problems while the clock is ticking. And so we've created the majority of people are coming out feeling like they're they're somehow second rate. 
and losers. And we need to really break that. There are you know, lots of good examples from around the world that we ought to import into the United States or, uh, you know, I know more about the United States, obviously, than, than Canada. But Finland doesn't even give kids uh, reading, writing, arithmetic until they're age seven because they have this old-fashioned notion and a really valuable one that kids should be out playing. They should be out developing their bodies. They should be out discovering things that you discover when you play. Um, another one is that, uh, you know, in the United States, only one out of 20 public high schools has any kind of a, a serious curriculum for skilled trades you know, or what they called in my day shop class. But everything has changed in the modern day. In, information technology intersects with every trade today. And, and the trades have become more sophisticated. A lot of people would thrive in the trades. They're good paying jobs. And just because you go into a skilled trade doesn't mean that you can't go to college later, or doesn't mean that you can't build a business around your skilled trade. My wife and I take a vacation every week after Christmas, and we go to Indian Wells down around Palm Springs in the, in the desert in Southern California. And we rent a condo, and the guy we rent a condo from is a plumber. Now, obviously, he's more than just a plumber. He's built a plumbing firm, but he's a plumber who built a plumbing firm. And so that was, you put that kid in, into the school system today, probably wouldn't have done well at all. I'm a big believer in gap years, taking two years off between high school and college if you should choose to go to college, or maybe two years off between your sophomore and your junior years. About the only way you can blow a gap year is to have your parents subsidize you on a two-year party. Mm -hmm. But going on a mission. Um, the, you know, I'm a big fan of what the Church of Latter-day Saints does, the two-year Mormon mission. And I'm not a member of that church, but but it really, uh, it toughens people up. They're more mature when they come back. It can be, it can be mission-based. It can be entrepreneurial flings. It can be adventures where the, the young person has to maybe gets a little bit of a subsidy from their parents, but, but really has to go out and get jobs along the way when they're doing their world tour. Um, and uh, so th those are all those are all ways where we can slow down the clock a little bit. Why not slow down the clock a little bit? Because if we take care of ourselves, we're going to live longer. People, the millennials today, if they take care of themselves, should live well into their 90s, and and you know far more should be, um, you know, living past 100. So the 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 time in front of young people today has really been stretched out. Why not really figure out what you're good at, uh, where your passions are? I See, in blooming, I have this idea that I feel very strongly about that our best prospects of blooming, that is coming into our full potential, happens when we're at this intersection of our, 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 our native talents, our deepest passions, and a sense of purpose that means that, that, that we just have to do what we're doing. And I've seen people when they when they're lined up that way, uh, people I've seen people who never thought they could sell their way out of a paper bag. You know, the kinds of kids that in high school produced, a you know, sold absolutely zero at the fundraiser, you know, because they just couldn't make the cold call, not even to their friends. I've seen people like that become great salespeople. If you're going to become an entrepreneur, you know, you better reconcile yourself to the fact that you're a salesperson from day one. Um, you're selling people to come and work for you. You're selling um, somebody giving you, you know, uh, giving you an extension of your credit line or or investing in your company. 
And I've seen people who never thought they could be salespeople become salespeople. I've seen people who never thought that they could be, um, they never had much courage become lions of courage when their talents and their passions and their purpose are lined up. And for some people, it's just going to take longer to find that intersection of gifts, passions, and uh, and purpose. And, and, and that, but it's so important to find that to have a really successful and fulfilling life. Rich, this has been a great conversation. There's a lot more food for thought that you're leaving everybody here with that's listening. Uh, and the book is called Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. I made a point of publishing this episode on my birthday uh, because uh, it's something that I think, I mean, I'm looking right now, if you, if, looking at the back of the book, you know, Dan Pink mentions that, you know, the idea of Aesop's warning of, you know, the hare uh, being admired more uh, than the tortoise. And uh, I love this, uh, the, the the idea of slow and steady winning the race. Um, there's something, you know, there's real power here. And I think that people need to, especially, and I don't think like, like, uh, like I was saying earlier, this is not just a book for people who are, uh, that are looking for validation because they are late bloomers. But I think it's something that pe- young people need to look at as well and realize, Hey, you know what, there's, there's more than just get, you know, getting started and going as fast as I can to get to the finish line. Cause this is, this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? Well, look, it's graduation season and kids come graduating from high school or from college. They're looking around them and every class has its superstars. The ones who are going off to the elite universities, the ones who are going off to the elite grad school or are, have job offers from recognizable companies and and um, more power to them. I have nothing against those early bloomers. But a lot of these grads are, on the one hand, they're feeling good. They get to celebrate with their friends and laugh and, and their families there. And, and that's all to the good. It's a time of celebration. But lurking behind that is that cloud of anxiety because they see that they're not one of the early stars. You know, are they going to go to, you know, are, the college that they're going to is not maybe a spectacular college. And, 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 you know, their job prospects are uncertain. And so I want those people to realize that they have, they have time. I mean, go out there, don't waste a moment, don't be passive, but go out there and, and discover people are going to be late bloomers. Uh, it comes with the, it comes with the, a requirement and the requirement is you have to become an explorer and a discoverer and a learner in your own life. If you're going to find that intersection of your gifts, your passions, and your purpose. That's a great place to end, Rich. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Where can people pick up the book and where can people keep up with your work as well? Well, sure. You can go to, uh, you can go to Amazon. If uh, You can read some good reviews uh, uh, on uh, Goodreads or Amazon. It's in most of the major bookstores, but it's Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. And, and uh, I wanted to do the world some good, which is my motivation to do this. And, and I hope that it does, uh, people who purchase this, uh, it, it lifts, lifts, their, lifts their, uh, their lives and their aspirations. Rich, thanks again for joining me today on the Productivities Podcast. Thanks so much, Mike. Big thanks to Rich Carlgaard for joining me on the show today. Of course, if you want to keep up with all the things that he's been doing according uh, the, uh, along with the book, rather, you can check out all the links in the show notes. And I highly encourage you to pick up the book Late Bloomers. Uh, it is a, it is 
a really good read and the cover is striking. I mentioned that uh, at some point during the, uh, I think it was during the post. I said, hey, this cover looks really, really cool. So again, thanks to Rich for joining me on the show today. Thanks to our sponsor for this episode, MetPro. Now again, Productivity's podcast listeners can receive a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert. You don't want to miss out on this offer. Again, go to metpro.co slash timecrafting to make that happen. I know you'll love MetPro. I love it. I use it, and it's been it's been fantastic. So again, take advantage of that offer, and thanks to MetPro for sponsoring this episode of the show. Thanks to John Polster for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. And by the way, if you enjoyed the show and, and you want to make sure you don't miss a single episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We release a new episode every single week, and we are 251 episodes and strong, going strong. We've got a lot more episodes coming up in the pipeline. We are not slowing down, and I encourage you to check out what we've got to offer. So again, subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode, and give us a rating and review or wherever you're listening to the podcast as well. That way, we can see what we're doing right, and what we can maybe make some improvements upon as well. So again, thanks to you for listening. That's it for this time. I'm Mike Barty, the host of the Productivities Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. I'll see you later.